Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We are back. It's like we never left. It's Outkick 360. We are live from 6th and Peabody Studios, downtown Nashville, with old Smokey Moonshine. And ye- why can I not say that? Moonshine, not Moonshine. This is like Paul with Taco, taco. and taco, taco yesterday. Good Lord. Tico uh, Taco. And Yeehaw Beer. We are here live every single weekday. It's a Tennessee Power Hour. We're going to talk some balls. We're going to talk Clark Lee and Vanderbilt and a a piece done on him at The Athletic and some quotes this week also. But first, let's talk Titans. Titans, Cardinals this weekend. Jonathan Hutton, not here today. He is in Knoxville preparing for a speaking engagement. Hutton sends me a text and says, I've got five narratives for you guys that I want to throw out there. So, Hutton, I'm going to let you take it it away and start with this big topic. Okay, so we were discussing, guys – the narratives for why the national media is not as high on the Tennessee Titans as we are. And us being right there in the heart of Music City, having seen what the Titans have built, what John Robinson and Mike Vrabel uh, have been able to construct together. Um, the, the national narrative is a lot different than what's happening in Nashville. And this year, I'm, it, Paul, you mentioned this yesterday, it's kind of weird that they're not buying into this team, especially after what we saw last year. And it got me thinking what I have heard through the national headlines, either on NFL Live or NFL Network or a Sirius XM radio, uh, tuning into that a little bit last night on the drive home. Um, there's a, a variety of differences in opinion on the Titans, but it's all giving reasons as to why they're not picking the Titans to go very far deep in the postseason. And I, some are valid, some are not in my mind. And I'm going to start with the Arthur Smith excuse the the narrative that arthur smith was a massive reason for why this offense was so successful and why everything came together as it did whenever he was named the play caller it was a good decision by vrabel um they one one national host i was listening to referenced that lafleur wasn't all that great arthur smith entered the the plan and things took off with derrick henry paul let's start with you are you buying the narrative that arthur smith's departure is a really bad uh, development for this Titans team in 2021. Well, uh, let me take this a couple ways. In 2019, yep. when he took over, am I right on the date? None yes. of these national people knew who he was. They didn't care about <laughs> him, right? So right. they're going to make it like, I can't pick the Titans now because Arthur Smith's gone. Well, in 2019, when he took over the play calling and when he uh, guided the transition from Marcus Mariota to Ryan Tannehill, I don't remember the influx of national media being like, oh, my God, look at the job Arthur Smith is doing. This is going to take the Titans to the AFC championship game. So I don't understand really why they get it both ways. I do have concerns about Arthur Smith's absence. We've covered this. Um, Chad, I think, put it really well. There are going to be bad play calls. There should be the possibility of bad play calls by Todd Downing that have good results 
based on the skill position people he has and the offensive line talent that he has. I'm excluding right tackle now, but I think those guys, whoever winds up there, will be serviceable. Uh, The five people that he has going out eligible um, with, with good protection that doesn't need a lot of help, Todd Downing can be worse than Arthur Smith and still be successful. I think Arthur Smith was very good. I think Todd Downing's bright enough to pick up on a lot of what Arthur Smith did, and I think Mike Vrabel will be a guiding hand there to some degree. What do you think, Chad? I've got a name for you, Hutton, uh, that makes me side with national media on this one. Dean Pease. We way undervalue the effect of Dean Pease on the Titans' defense. Now, I think the big difference is – Clarity. Well, the rosters. I think what Todd Downing's inheriting on offense and the talent on that side of the football, it's a lot tougher to screw up where you had basically Dean Pease making chicken salad out of you-know-what at times with the Titans' pass rush and not many other defensive coordinators – at any level of football could have done that the way Dean Pease did it. It's also entirely clear that Todd Downing is the new Arthur Smith. There's none of this hazy BS about Shane Bowen taking over for Dean Which Pease. helps. I think that clarity definitely helps. So two things. Well, also, the roster and the clarity, but it does give me pause, Hutton, because I think that the loss of Dean Pease was maybe downplayed a bit, and maybe that, at least for me, leads a little bit to the reaction of, hey, let's – Stop for a second and think about what Arthur Smith not calling plays is going to mean for the offense. Head coach on that side of the ball was a factor with Dean Pease, too, and you don't well, have that. I, also, I mean, we spend a lot of time discussing the starters, right? Arthur Smith made chicken salad out of you-know-what last year up front on the offensive line. Yep. Is Todd Downing capable of doing the same thing? That, that's where Arthur Smith's value really shined. Uh, he had great he had great talent in in Derrick Henry and AJ Brown and he had a quarterback that could distribute the football and you could trust. Todd Downing has the same, but if the same injury bug hits a certain position group, is Todd Downing able to coach around it like Arthur Smith did? Uh, that's the biggest question mark I have. It's not about the starting group, the starting eleven. It's where are they in week eleven? with whatever Downing has to work with. That's a very good point. You're thinking of left tackle. I mean, Keith Carter's doing yeoman's work there, but but Arthur Smith had to scheme around it with one of his eligibles basically playing left tackle B. Well, so here's – I think to answer your question on that first one – Fair. Reasonably fair. I I would give it like a five or a six on the scale of I'm agreeing with the national narrative on it. I do think it's under-discussed. But I don't think it it's, undoes a, them. it's a huge deal because they have the talent in place to get it done with any number of play callers. And, and I would say, Agreed. I'm going to say Agreed. this probably for most of these, you're allowed to stick around and see. You don't have to say, shut down the set in Nashville. The Titans are eliminated because Arthur Smith is no longer on the team. Well, you, Todd Downing should not be sticking around and watching much Titans football. He should be the third offensive coordinator to get a head coaching job with what he's inherited. And I'm, I'm standing strong on that because th- this group, uh, there, there are a lot of play callers that would love to inherit what Todd Downing just did with Arthur Smith getting this job. 
Um, sure. To me, that would be a personality yes. question. Like, uh, and I don't know that that rules the day. Arthur Smith wasn't the best guy in front of a microphone, and he's done right. fine there. Todd Downing right now is a, is a robot in front of us. I don't know how well he'll interview. That would be my well, question LaFleur, on LaFleur the side. wasn't that. bustling either. Yeah, you're I mean, right. It, well, it, it, well, if, if, old, if old crazy eyes with the Jets can get a job, then I think anybody can. I don't yeah. think you've put in personality for anything. <laughs> there are a lot of people who uh, apparently interview well that are complete duds. Yeah, you know right. who we're talking about there. You're right. um, Ryan Tannehill isn't elite. He's just a product of this system was one that I heard. They keep going back to Tannehill in Miami where Tannehill in Miami did not have the number one running back in football and did not have uh, the, the play-action style passing game that he inherited here when he took over for Marcus Mariota. He flourished here based on the system. That's all fair. But Tannehill not being elite is, to me, I, I laugh at that because he protects the football, and he's someone that you know you, you can count on week in and week out. This, is, this isn't a Jameis Winston scenario where one week he's going to be really good and one week he's just really off the cliff. This is a steady quarterback within this system that you know is going to show up and keep you in, and in some cases, in many cases already, win you games late in the fourth quarter. So, first off, images of Jim Tom Sula just flashed in my head as we were talking about coaches with no personality. Um, but on, <laughs> your Ryan Tannehill, yeah, on your Ryan Tannehill question, Hutton, um, this is one that gets me going a little more than the other narratives that are out there because – no, he's not elite. He's not an elite quarterback. Ryan Tannehill on any – because I'm, I'm looking at elite as Aaron Rodgers, Patrick right. Mahomes Tom Brady. type guys. Tom the Brady. Very short list. There's four or five guys, tops, across the league. He's not one of those four or five guys. But what Ryan Tannehill is, is elite for this offense. He is elite for what the Tennessee Titans ask him to do. And that's all you could want out of a quarterback. So he's giving them everything that they need right now, and that's exactly what they need is Ryan Tannehill for that offense. But I also would never think of him as elite. It's also not a, a knock on Ryan Tannehill to say he's not elite. So I, I completely agree with the national media when they say, well, Ryan Tannehill's not elite. But I also completely disagree with them when they act like Ryan Tannehill can't win games when needed within the construct of this offense. Yeah, this drives me insane. Throw, throw out the elite word. Ryan Tannehill's not good enough. That, that's nonsense. I talked to LaDainian Tomlinson when he was here, and he, he spelled it out great. He said people formed an opinion of Ryan Tannehill when he was in Miami, and they're unwilling to admit they were, they were not that they were wrong, but they're unwilling to accept that things change. So they said Ryan Tannehill was bad when he was in Miami. He's good now, and they were, they were unwilling to adjust or express a new opinion. They, they make an opinion, they stick to the opinion. And, and, and this is ridiculous. And, and so yes. let me just go a little further here, Hutton. Yes, please. Who in the NFL, I would love for our listeners in the YouTube chat and the Twitter chat to come up with somebody. Name me another player in the NFL who is regularly downgraded and demeaned for benefiting from his system. I can't think of another guy. Ryan Tannehill is the poster boy for this. He's not that good because the system makes him good. Teams, coaches, GMs are supposed to create systems that emphasize the qualities of their players. Ryan Tannehill is exactly that. He is put in a situation where he 
his his best qualities can shine and his lesser qualities are masked that's exactly what you're supposed to do that's terrific the titans are using him exactly right and people around the country say that's terrible look how bad it is that that they play action pass him and put him on the move and he throws deeper better than anybody thinks this is a terrible terrible narrative now the only credence to it is that he has not played well in the playoffs and and that kills you because those are the games that everybody sees and he's not exactly. had a productive playoff game now the two the two wins in the championship run season um, he didn't have to do anything and then in Kansas City they just ran into a good team and in the Baltimore game last year nobody did anything it, it, it's the laziest of the of the arguments that that people are making against this team, uh, and and you say throw out the elite word. Uh, Tannehill was elite last season. I mean, put him up against any quarterback statistically, whatever category you want to pull from, and he's in the top five. Now I just, he's not I'm being, just against the elite word because the the, the Joe yeah, no. Flacco elite argument killed right, right, the elite right. as a word in the NFL. Well, it's also going, if you want to go with uh, okay, let's take the elite part out of it. If the argument shifts to, you know, when I see Ryan Tannehill go out and dominate an opponent in the playoffs, then I'll believe it. Okay. That's fine. That's fair because that really hasn't happened. That's the next step and, for him. And, Paul, you so, said, you know, no one did anything against Baltimore. Well, the most Arthur Smith didn't do anything The most Baltimore. important person is, is Ryan Tannehill doing something. So it trickles down. Everyone else not doing something is a byproduct of Ryan Tannehill sucking against the Ravens a year ago. So that one – that complaint I'll acknowledge, but I think we all agree on the elite conversation. Ryan Tannehill is elite in this offense. Number three, and, and maybe this is the one that I hear the most, is Derrick Henry is going to hit a wall, and people are willing to bet that it happens sooner rather than later. With the 2,000-yard season last year and the year prior where he has the NFL rushing title, they're not buying that he's able to do it three years in a row. And based on the way this offense runs, it goes through him. So if you believe that, there's reason to not buy the Titans. But I, I don't see how you believe it if you actually dig in to what he's done in, in, in his, um, you know, his overall workload. It's not like he's been producing this year after year after year since he was drafted. He only had 501 carries his first three years combined. And to me, that benefits Henry this year to do it again with the extra game. I think people failed to realize how little he, he worked in those first uh, several years. And I think if you're not around him on a regular basis, um, you tend not to, to get a real sense of just uh, how inhuman he is, if you will. But I do think that we, uh, we tend to skew to the other side on this. Uh, if I was out of market, I probably would say uh, one or two more years instead of two or three more years or three or four more years. Uh, so I, I, he is going to hit a wall. I, I think we all say that. They all hit a wall. I think, I think he's got more time than outsiders think, but I understand why they say what they say. But the, the elite running backs in the history of the game hit a wall, but it happens down the road. Most, most running backs have a very short life, life frame, uh, uh, on the shelf life. 
But the elite running backs, if you look at their numbers, while they're not clipping 2,000 yards a season, it's not like they just fall off a cliff. I'm talking about the best running backs in the game. And right now, he's on pace for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, and what is he, 28? You know, plus... Um, I don't know. And you subtract, I'll look it up real quick, but you subtract two or two and a half years from his age. He's younger in NFL usage than, yes, yes, than yes. he is, That's right? So when he, he, when he hits 30, which is the horror age for a running back, and understandably so, based uh-huh. on history of running backs, he's really 28, you know? So Derrick Henry, I think, is okay till he's 32 at least. Then I would say, you know, hey, I'm scared he's going to, at some point, all of a sudden he's not going to look the same. It, that comes Chad, fast and sudden. Th- th- this is Chad, one that, I, I, go ahead. I, I, I left you out of the conversation briefly because I know you're, you're not buying it because you drafted him last night. That is well, correct. it's not happening this year. I think that we is, all don't expect it that this is, year. That is 100% correct. I drafted him third overall in our fantasy draft last night. Look, I, I disagree with this take by the media, but it does not anger me because yeah. it is human nature to believe that if you carry the ball this many times in a short window – you're going to start to decline at some point. I think what people fail to realize, uh, a couple things. The slow start to his career and the, the, the lack of carries playing behind DeMarco Murray early on. And I also think they fail to realize that Derrick Henry's not your average run-of-the-mill guy. I mean, physically, uh, his ability to avoid injury so far, th- this is you, you're basing everything against the mean, right? You're taking the average of running backs – across the NFL, and then you're basing your conclusion on Derrick Henry versus those guys. And Well, these guys decline, so he's going to decline. I think you have to account for the variable that is Derrick Henry, uh, this guy who's a massive, massive man uh, who has not had an injury history, who didn't come into the league as a rookie and have a ton of carries right off the bat in his first couple of years. You have to factor all that in. So I think they're wrong when they say that, but I understand why they're saying it. He's 27. He turns 28 on January 4th. So you could call him 25. All of this said, Hutton, and you and I do a good job, I think, of throwing in the health thing. It, it's not, it doesn't even have to be a wear and tear thing, right? You're on the field carrying the ball that much. That's you right. don't control somebody rolling up on your leg, right? And somebody rolls up on your leg, it changes your career. And that's completely out of his control. That's completely out of the Titans' control. That's a matter Two of more. good luck. Two more for you guys. Um, the, the, the most recent one, uh, we didn't hear this at first because the, one of the biggest stories of the offseason was Julio Jones in Atlanta being traded to the Titans. And initially, we didn't hear this, this narrative. But now it's starting to trickle out of Atlanta, and the national guys are picking up on it. It's that Julio is old, he's hurt, and he's not invested anymore. That's what the talk is in Atlanta. And, you know, we had a topic a couple weeks ago about can, can you leave a city – in good standing anymore because if Julio Jones can't do it, who can? Um, they don't, he's not a fan favorite in Atlanta any longer. And the, some of the national media are picking up on the fact that, well, if you buy into that and you think that Julio was the one that got them over the hump, that's the X factor, that's them all in, the Titans are all in. If you're saying that, well, here's the counter to that argument. Paul, I, I, I can't buy that he's not invested. I think this guy is, is going to be really motivated to prove a lot of people wrong at his age. 
Well, I, I mean, I just don't understand if you call, he's got a legacy and a name, a brand, uh, a name, right? Not being invested anymore when you go to another team is really going to taint, uh, yes. taint that. And so I, I can't imagine that doesn't mean something to him. He's a proud guy with a real strong reputation. You come here and you tank it, you mail it in, you, you, you diminish that to a great degree. I, I, it does not strike me as that kind of guy. Though I will say, tomorrow we're going to hear from him for the second time since football practices began, and he will then be heard from twice, finally moving him ahead of um, Daniel Munyer. He's currently tied with Daniel Munyer for the amount of times <laughs> that they've spoken during training camp the preseason. Um. I got to agree with national media on this one. Um, and I, I hate that I'm thinking that way now, but it more on the injury part of it. I mean, there's something. Right. I lumped up. into everything there. Yeah, yeah. Something's up with the injury and the not practicing. And I, it does. While I think that Julio Jones, at this point in his career will be just fine. Can be uh, not practicing until, you know, right now and getting ready for the season. Um, it does concern me a bit. And I'll say this, if the Titans struggle, he's out mentally. I, I firmly believe that. I don't think he's a gutted out type guy and stick with it through the hard times and, you know, practice every day and show up on games and really contribute. Um, he does seem to me like a guy who, who could be a bit of a front runner. I wonder if A.J. If th- Brown. If things go south. I wonder if A.J. Brown can bring him. If A.J. Brown has the energy. Usually it would be the older guy bringing the younger guy. I wonder if in this situation no. the younger guy could bring the older guy. No, because A.J. Brown basically called Julio Jones' daddy when he arrived. And said he worshipped him, and uh, I mean that's just not how it works, you know. My 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 child's not going to bring my energy uh, up any level, and uh, I feel like Julio Jones is is. I mean, look, that's and I'm not saying that to demean AJ Brown, but he talks about the guy like he's his dad uh, when he showed up, and he's a big fan. He's wearing his jersey uh, around, and how big of an icon he was when he was at Alabama, and then when he went on uh, with the Falcons. So I don't see that happening, Paul, but. As long as they're winning, he's going to be fine. And I believe the Titans will be winning. So I think everything's going to go just fine for Julio Jones. But if they start out one and three, I would, I would be concerned. I'm going to side with national media narrative on this one. I think there's a reason to be a little bit concerned. I'm glad we're having this discussion because Chad is kind of evening things out a bit more than what I expected. What do you um, think there, Hut? No, I, I, mentally, I, don't, I, I think he's out to prove a lot of people wrong. Um, I, I mean, that I don't under, I, I didn't hear that about him with the whole, that people are going to say, well, he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't want to practice. I don't think Vrabel wants to practice him all that much anyway. Now I'm not saying during camp. I'm yeah. Saying he's a, work, a workload management guy. Yeah. But I, I don't foresee that being a huge issue. And look, I mean, Chad, you, you mentioned the, did you say malcontent or front runner, front runner? Yeah. If this guy is a front runner. And John Robinson traded for him. Another and miss. He, he, adds, he adds another front runner label to a player. Wow, have they gone way against what they stand for? Because what they they've missed they on Love Ball several times, and Vrabel says yeah. constantly they're not. They don't like front runners. I don't. Well, I just I, don't buy it. Let me be clear. I don't think that this guy is the other Falcon that they recently signed, in Vic Beasley, uh, who okay. was just taking fine after fine to not play football. So I, I don't think he's that level. I'm just saying. He wanted out of Atlanta because he wanted to go win. I'm not doubting his 
desire to win to prove people wrong. My concern would be if things go south early, what happens with him mentally? If he's not getting the targets that he wants, if the Titans aren't winning at the level we think they're going to win at, I, I think that there could be some problems well, I'll, if that I'll, happens. I'll, but I also don't think that's going to happen. I'll say this. Um, <laughs> this is like picking your, your poison, right? But yes. um, I, I would rather he, what, what's the kind of term you're using, F- fade out than be a malcontent. Uh, then like it, uh, it, it, demonstratively, uh, you know, throw his arms up. Uh, and yeah, like bring pe- bring people with him, right? As opposed to just Chad fade. There. He didn't he didn't use that word either. He said he said front runner, uh, front not runner. Yeah. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I'm sorry, um, I'm not saying that he said. But, it. I'm saying if he's going to fade out and disappear, uh, and I, I'm not I'm not envisioning that. But and maybe he will, maybe he won't. Again, I don't know. I think, but like, don't take people with you. Don't drag the locker room down. All of that, and I think this is a strong you, enough locker room that he couldn't do that. You know what, though, Chad? I'm not buying the, what, the, the whole malcontent aspect of it or the, the front-runner aspect. The health issue is at the forefront of all this. Yeah. And, and you, can, you, can make the, you can say that he's the X factor because what we have learned is after Julio – let's say Julio was not traded and was not signed this offseason. Josh Reynolds is not a number two wideout. Not uh, right that, now. I think that we know. Not, not number three um, wideout right now. Well, how, well, I know. And how would we feel if they didn't have Julio in the mix without Corey Davis or Jonu Smith and relying on Anthony Ferkser? When's the last time we talked about Anthony Ferkser? And it's because they have A.J. and Julio. Um, it, it, there are a lot of question marks if Julio's not healthy during the well, season. Well, I mean, you raise a great point there because you just picked them to go to the Super Bowl. We all picked I'm, them to win the division. Yep. We feel really good about them. And we're, yep. we're a uh, rolled ankle or a bad landing foot injury away from him missing time. And you take him out of the equation, and what you're saying, all of a sudden, Josh Reynolds is, is the three at least. Then you're talking about Chester Rogers or a health, healthy Marcus Johnson as a two. We like what we've seen from those guys, but that's a substantial drop-off. That changes the entire complexion of the offense. And well, they're not picked, nearly you, as dangerous as we're talking about. Yeah, and you wrote a column on pick your poison how do you cover this titans team you well, take all of a sudden you cover aj brown very easy. yeah double yeah straight double pretty easy all right final one and i think this is the most valid the defense is going to continue to hold them back there is this assumption that it's they, they've done enough on defense in nashville and they, there they, is. They, and they have clarified things with uh, communication wise with shane bowen and <laughs> Believe it or not, there's one rookie who's going to quote unquote start on this defense, and it's not Caleb Farley. It's Elijah Molden. And all of a sudden, people think that they're going to be an adequate defense. I, I mean, I, I think that I buy into the argument that they can't be worse, but they've got to be a lot better and more consistent game in and game out uh, on third down and just getting some pressure on the quarterback. And there is an assumption locally that they've done that. And really, we haven't seen anything to prove that one way or the other. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We don't know. I asked Shane Bowen directly about this today. I said, look, everybody's talked about the corners pressing and being more aggressive. And everybody's talked the talk. But how can we be sure on third and four on Sunday that guys aren't lining up eight yards off? 
And he said, it's, listen, we have hammered this all off season. This has been our theme. We are going to challenge. It was almost a guarantee. And, and so I hope that's the case. We all want to see it. They changed the yep. personnel. They've preached the mindset. Now we've got to see it, right? Same thing with the pass rush. But the mentality has to change in order. The, the personnel has changed right? They say that the scheme is changing. The mentality has to change in practice starting Sunday in order for this defense to be what everybody in Nashville seems very casually to be presuming is already fixed. We're going to see it in practice. And I'm not so convinced that, that it's as easy as, as people are making it out to be, but I'm hopeful. I think it's 100% fair on this, this narrative. Um, I agree. I think that when they drafted Caleb Farley, the first thing I thought was he better be ready to go game one and he better be a really good NFL cornerback quickly if they feel like they're going to fix anything uh, on defense. I think they fixed some things. They've improved. I'm not willing to go out and say it's fixed based on the additions this past offseason. So I think this is completely fair. Uh, and I'm, I'm with you, Paul, in that we need to see it. We need to see it in practice in games. We need to see the Titans' defense – get things done in game, starting against a really good offense on Sunday against Arizona. Hey, one more thing on this topic, Hutton, just while we're there tangentially. Bowen also said about Dupree when we were kind of pressing on the how ready is he to go. He said, you wouldn't know he's coming off ACL surgery, um, you know, if, if you didn't know, and said he's not expecting drop-off with the backups, which seemed to me, I, I think their highest maybe on Roberson and what he did in the offseason. So the indication uh, there, the thing to presume there, is that they're, they're a go with Dupree. Now, I'm not expecting him to play as many snaps this Sunday as I am in six weeks, but indications there are you know and they could be lying because they they want to disguise things for for the cardinals coming into this game but uh, i don't think they're tiptoeing into this thing with dupree hutton thank you so much appreciate you, thank you guys uh, appreciate yeah, that you was good that was really Crush good it tonight with spire sports group in the nil event um i'm disappointed we did not see brad lampley peek over your shoulder at any point but please tell him we said hello and everyone else there in I knoxville will. I will. And a big shout out to Lonesome Dove Western Bistro and, and Fine Dining here in Knoxville. They have been tremendous. Uh, they had the filet burger here earlier, Chad. You'd be very jealous. Uh, yes, I went burger uh, twice, back-to-back days, believe it or not. Uh, it was great. And uh, shout out to them. Great staff here in the setup. It's going to be a big night. And uh, follow along on Twitter. Uh, back-to-back burgers for Hutton. Hutton, you better eat some greens before you wither away and die. <laughs> oh, God. Right now. The, somebody put some greens in front of Hutton. Five consecutive salads That's after that burger. big for Hutton. Make sure you get the some cleanse. greens in you. Hutton, to crush it tonight. It's we'll talk, we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. See you guys. All right, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. Paul, you've got some Titans notes yeah. uh, from practice today that we're going to discuss. We're going to talk a little Clark Lee and Vanderbilt later in the Tennessee Power Hour as well. This is Outkick 360. We are live from the 6th and Peabody studio. We are back, Outkick 360, live from the 6th and Peabody studio, downtown Nashville with Old Smoky Moonshine and with Yeehaw Beer, Paul Kaharski alongside. I'm Chad Withrow. 
Jonathan Hutton in Knoxville today. Big thanks to him for joining us uh, on Zoom a little bit earlier. Paul, you got some Titans notes uh, out at practice today, and, and one of them, a uh, pretty cool stat going into this game uh, with production at wide receiver. Yeah, some guys. we are going to see some uh, some of the biggest uh, production guys on the field at the same time. Here, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, number one, number four, number five, respectively, active NFL leaders in career receiving yards. Only Antonio Brown and Deshaun Jackson are in on that list and won't be on the field this week. They're also three of the top six in career receptions. So uh, Julio Jones, I, I put out a video today. Check it out, uh, Paul Kuharski. NFL on on Twitter, uh, again, in one of those situations, back to what they were doing early in training camp where he's off. And it wasn't just with Tannehill today. It was with uh, Matt Barkley and with Logan Woodside as well. Um, At the end of individual period, leave the receivers, go work with the quarterbacks at the top of the routes, talk a little bit, say, all right, I'm going to go here, chop my steps. Uh, I'll go finish in slow motion and and catch the pass. I strung together three of those and and then uh, a a route where he he actually ran the route, you know, and caught a a pass. They both look good. And and, uh, A.J. Brown, who was out yesterday with a knee, Looked just fine today uh, in what I saw. And then the injury report came out and said uh, not, uh, you know, full full workout. So optimism there. Yeah, that was the big story uh, coming in today was the questions about A.J. Brown's health, not practicing. But, uh, Paul, as you said, full go today in practice. Good news for the Titans. Good news for A.J. Brown's status on Sunday. Um, also, uh, Shane Bowen talking about corner aggression. And this is something you've harped on, Paul, uh, about Titans corners laying off the line of scrimmage. But Shane Bowen had a note that that may not be the case. Well, now. they're not, you know, and he's been preaching this. I mentioned it at the end with Hutton, that they're going to play more aggressive. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to line up and press every single time. They've got coverages where they're going to do different things. But generally, Titans fans have been bemoaning for years how far off Titans corners tend to be. And I've had conversations with Samari Roll, the best Titans corner in, in Tennessee era history about this. And the fact of the matter is guys have a certain amount of freedom or can go against what they're asked to do when they line up. Basically, you're scared to get beat deep when you back off, when you back off more than coaches want, even if coaches are telling you. Um, this group is pledging to generally play tighter, challenge more. And when I'm saying if it's third and four and you're eight or ten yards off at the snap, I'm talking about defending the sticks. Third down is the big issue for this team, right? That's where we need to see the biggest improvement. They were letting people convert over 50% of the time last year. Well, you're not going to improve on that if you're playing so far off that you can't beat the guy to the marker. Um, and Shane Bowen today was... was rededicating himself to that thing. We are going to challenge more. All of the corners have talked that way. All of the safeties have talked that way. It's time to see it in practice. And Paul, if that Titans defense is going to really step up this year, Bud Dupree's going to have to be a big part of it. Um, what can you tell us about his forecasts coming up? Yeah, well, they're talking like, uh, you know, you can't tell that he's coming off the ACL, um, that he's been in all the different elements of practice in terms of the pacing 
um, throughout the course of camp, despite the fact that he's never been all the way in in the practices that we we saw, which got cut off last week as they move into game planning mode for the for the season opener. I think there's a lot of cause to be optimistic, but you know I don't know how much you can you can ask, and that's one of the big questions on on Sunday is how much does Bud Dupree play and how much drop-off is there when he doesn't play. I would think if you're limiting him, as hard as it is to see him not start, that's where you don't want him is the rundowns, right? You got to have him out there in nickel and in the passing downs. I have a couple more that I didn't give you. Uh, Craig Ackerman was asked about James Wilhoyt. Uh, who we haven't talked about a lot, who you're Who I saw with. in Tampa on the sideline for the first time. Just happened to see him in the background on a, a sideline shot. And talked about uh, being a great influence for Sam Fick and a great sounding board. Uh, and certainly it hasn't, uh, you know, Sam Ficken has gotten gradually better and very confident. Sam Ficken said the other day, you know, Mike Vrabel is talking about him seeming to have gotten stronger with his leg. Sam Ficken said, my leg isn't stronger. I'm hitting the ball more confidently. And Ackerman was giving Will Hoyt some, some credit for that. And uh, this is a smart move that the Titans probably waited too long on. Again, I'll go back. Will Hoyt tweeted last year, two years ago, you know, how are the Titans with all these kicking problems? One of the only teams in the league that doesn't have a kicking specialist coach which usually would turn a team off to you. And in Will Hoyt's case, got him higher. Yeah, I said, come on. More power, yeah, more power to him. I asked um, Todd Downing about third down running back because the Titans don't, we don't know who the Titans third down running back is right now. I think it'll be a mix of Derrick Henry. Uh, Makai Sargent could be out there. Um, you know, McNichols is still... Uh, is he off the COVID list? I'm, I'm not sure what McNichol's status is. He said it could be a task-by-task task usage and deployment. And so I think we're going to see a strong mix of what's going on there, not a dedicated third down back, at least at the beginning, until somebody really gets in the flow and establishes themselves as reliable there. So I think uh, that's the case. And finally, uh, Downing said there is no time for us to be thinking that, hey, we need to, uh, no time, no allowance, no thought of, you know, well, we finally have all our guys together. We need a couple series to knock the rust off. We need a couple, whatever, you know, we need to throw this route a couple times or run this play a couple times to grease the wheels or anything like that. They're, they're, not, allow, they're not allowing for any of that thinking, which, you know, is the right thinking. But it's a damn shame that they haven't had those guys together before these three practices to, to be ready for this game. And it all starts Sunday. We'll start to get some answers to these questions. Titans defense, has it improved? All of it. We'll start to find out Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals. When we come back, Clark Lee had a quote that got much of the state talking. We're going to share that with you. We're going to discuss Clark Lee and the Vanderbilt Commodores as they try to bounce back. Uh, after a three-score loss to an FCS opponent on Saturday. That's coming up next. It's OutKick 360. We are back. Final segment of OutKick 360 on this Thursday. Chad Withrow, Paul Koharski with you. So we've talked about Vanderbilt's loss to ETSU some throughout the week. 
Clark Lee had a quote, and we're going to show it to you right now. Joe Rexroad had the tweet on a Clark Lee quote in his media availability that got a lot of people talking. This is Clark Lee talking about keeping a team, which has lost a lot recently, trying to keep them positive. The quote is, it's a bit of a traumatized group, and there was a bit of an expectation that we were going to win Saturday. There was an expectation that East Tennessee State was going to cooperate in that regard. Now, I think when you lose by 20 points to an FCS opponent, there is going to be natural scrutiny of everything that is said by that coach. But there is really nothing to see here. I know exactly what Clark Lee is trying to say. He is saying that his players had an expectation of winning, which they should have because, quite frankly, they should have won that game. And there's also an expectation when you go against a lesser opponent that eventually the lesser opponent is going to lesser opponent. And they're going to play down. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to give you a chance to have some big plays. And ETSU simply didn't do that. Now, you should not go into any game thinking that way. You should think, we're going to get the absolute best from this team. They're going to be better than they ever have been before. That should be the expectation when you go into a game. But I completely understand what he's saying. Paul, he should have articulated it better because it, it did leave some room for people to play with it, if you will. Yeah, I mean, it's, when you read it back, it's not great. But I, I guess it's all about perception when you read it. I think there are people who immediately jumped on it and said, it's like you pay ETSU, so you Is want to cooperate it sound like he win? expected them to cooperate? Yeah, like he expected them to just go in there and roll over, that they knew they were going to, you know, it, it was fixed. He's saying, unfortunately, my team played like it expected ETSU to do its part. I really get a good sense from Clark Lee in our limited time with him. Had a chance to meet him at a speaking engagement and talk with him. We've had him on the show, Paul. I get a good sense from him. Um, but you start to read more. Pete Sampson wrote a profile at The Athletic, which is really well done, where he basically embedded with Vanderbilt football for the last week and was there through the ETSU game and even has things after that game and the reaction from Clark Lee and others. Um, Clark Lee kind of alternates from seeming like an absolute genius to me to seeming like Butch Jones 2.0. Uh, and I'll give you one example that I don't really know how to react to this. It says in the story that they practiced pregame warm-ups 90 consecutive days during workouts this winter. Um, I don't know if that's genius in installing a program or if that's micromanaging it's not minutia that you shouldn't be micromanaging. I know that it's not genius. Uh, look, I, I, I covered a guy who was uh, anally obsessive about pregame warm-up stuff uh, who, who had guys very precisely line up their helmets during uh, stretch. They had to be facing all aligned the same way. And this was very important to him. His name was Mike Malarkey. And he did this in Jacksonville. And when he got another chance, a third, very rare third head coaching chance in Nashville, he decided that this was no longer important to him. This was a wise evolution by Mike Malarkey on his thing. And I talked to him about it. He said, you know, seemed important at the time, like it was setting some kind of standard thing for us. But I, in evaluating that, came to decide I could set those things in different ways that weren't that. Well, so, again, this is where I, the whole thing kind of just oscillates for me between 
is this really brilliant of a coach to do in setting a standard, or is it is it too much to quote? Howard Did the Sox guys mother? not get it in the first eighty nine times? Paul, I'm going to read you a direct <laughs> excerpt from this the story at the Athletic. Okay, and I want much. I want to get too your I want to get your get your response. This I think you're going to really get a kick out of this. This is the start of the story. Two days before his debut as Vanderbilt's head coach, Clark Lee ended practice by lining up his roster on the sideline. The players had to spread out between the 25-yard lines, none bunched up more than three deep. Then they had to walk forward and spend the next two minutes visualizing what it would be like to shake hands with ETSU after the game on Saturday night. Lee said nothing about the outcome, barely acknowledging there would be one. This was an exercise in behavior, not a predictor of results. After simulating handshakes, Vanderbilt drilled another postgame ritual, singing the alma mater to one side of the field. And then after that, he brought people out to model their wardrobe that they were going to be wearing to the stadium that day. Is uh, this too much? Yeah. I mean, singing the alma mater, there, there maybe is a little bit of like fun, like envision us after the game doing this. This is... This is where we wind up after we do everything that we've been working to do, I can kind of get that. Spending two minutes getting ready to shake hands with the opponent, which happens in a chaotic, scrambled field, not with guys spaced out no more than three deep in a thing, is asinine. There are time limits on NCAA college football. And it needs to be used efficiently. And you cannot convince me. And Clark Lee's way smarter than I am. So I would invite him to tell me how this is an efficient use of time. Well, and I, I, again, I would recommend if you're, a, a college, if you're a college football fan, read uh, Pete Sampson's piece on Vanderbilt and Clark Lee. Another quote that jumped out to me, Clark Lee says, how do you measure progress in the infancy? It's the ability to own and execute all these small details in the program. I don't want them to feel like they're set up to fail. Um, and again, they were I, set up to fail. with the theme of going back and forth between brilliant to Butch Jones 2.0 with Clark Lee, which I really don't think that he is. I think he's, he's smarter than Butch Jones, I would think. Way smarter. But there's one part in here where this really jumped out to me. He went back and watched every practice, which is not uncommon. All the practice film Vanderbilt had under Derek Mason a year ago. And when he first met with Ken Seals, he brought up the three practices he was late to. He said, you were late to practice three times last year. He'd already watched every practice and seen that. Now, I see that, and I think that's pretty cool that he knew that right away. He talks about a lack of eye contact with guys and the way they shake hands and that he's been drilling them on that. That's all also. good. Well, and this is, this is, it seems, all of this, Paul, is going to seem silly when you lose 23-3 to to ETSU. If two or three years from now, Vanderbilt pulls a big upset, and they're bowl eligible, I think you're going to go back to these things and people are going to say, again, brilliant or not, they're going to act like it's brilliant. Because now Vandy plays to a standard, all their guys act the same way, they play the same way, and boy, look what Clark Lee is. But built. handshake it's practice? Just, it's difficult when you're inside of it and we're not even a week removed from having seen that on the field on Saturday night. I, so I think I'll that give he the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. If 80% of that stuff is good, then he can have the other 20%. But in the other 20% is handshake practice. I just think a lot of this is naturally going to be unfair to Clark Lee because it's we've seen one game against an FCS opponent, they lost 23-3. And it was disastrous. Now, what's the good news for Clark Lee? They play at Colorado State this week. Colorado State lost by 19 
to an FCS opponent. So you have two FBS Division I teams that are three-score losers to an FCS opponent week one going head-to-head. Vanderbilt is a touchdown underdog uh, in this game at Colorado State. It's also very winnable if Vanderbilt plays well. So at least an opportunity in what Paul would be, based on the opener, a pretty monumental bounce back if they go to Fort Collins and win, even though Colorado State is not good. It would still be a big win after what we saw Saturday. I'm going to throw out a wild prediction here that Colorado State did not have team hygiene practice or team handshake practice. I, I, would, I would guess that you're probably right with that. Um, and I don't think they're a lesser team because of it. No. We're, we'll find out. We'll find out if it works Saturday well, night. I don't know. Then, we'll by the way, out. I don't think it's tied to the result. Well, then Vanderbilt comes home and plays Stanford, uh, who David Shaw has had a rough couple of years. Uh, they opened up very poorly against Kansas State. So David Shaw coached there for life no matter what, if he wants to be? Seems like it. He should Seems be. Like okay. I, I feel like he should be. Seems like he's But okay. if he's not, you say, boy, David Shaw could have left there for a lot of primo, primo jobs. Could he still? No. I don't think so now. I think the uh, the bloom is off the rose at, at this point for for David Shaw. But um, the NFL opportunities he had were probably the ones that he may look back one day and, and wish he had taken. We'll see, though. Yeah. Again, Stanford comes to Nashville uh, next weekend. Um, fun show today. Still available. We've got a huge show coming your way tomorrow. VolQuest Power Hour with Brent Hubbs and Austin Price previewing Tennessee and Pitt. A lot of other fun things planned tomorrow. Paul, you have a message for everyone on our way out. I have a message that I like to share frequently. Um, Do not block the box and do, do lock the locks. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.